All right, welcome back for another, what do we want to call these episodes or uh, edition, another edition of the Final Mile with Freight 360, where we answer your questions um, each and every week. So our first question comes to us. This actually came from one of our YouTube videos. So I do appreciate the questions that come through the comment section there. Uh, We did a video on what is a BOC3 and actually BOC stands for, I think it's blanket of coverage form three. It's basically your list of process agents as a, as a freight broker, but they asked for a BOC three, does every agency charge you when there are documents that will be presented to you? For example, I've seen one company that only charges $30, but if something needs to be presented to you, each state has a designated fee. Yes. Well, I guess the answer to the question, every company is different. The cheaper you're going to find a, filing fee for your BOC3, the more likely they're going to tack on charges if they do in fact have to be used for something. So to break down the BOC3, right? If you are, uh, let's say, Ben, you live in work, you live and work in Florida. The FMCSA requires you to have a process agent designated in any of the states in which you're going to operate as a freight broker. Meaning if there's someone has to serve you legal paperwork in Colorado, you have to have somebody designated there. So these process agent companies will say, hey, for 20 bucks or 30 bucks, we'll designate a person in all 50 states for you and get your form filed. Boom. Quick and easy. Um, what they don't tell you up front is that, oh, if you do get served in Hawaii, or which that's not really a common one, but if you get served in Illinois or served in uh, Arizona, oh, we also charge you for each time that someone in that state has to go and get served the paperwork and then have to forward it on to you either physically or electronically, depending on the the nature there. But the, um, the takeaway here is just ask like any other service, ask upfront, what does my pricing include? Um, you know, in like over 10 years in this business, I've never actually dealt with someone getting served. Have you like, not at least not on my end, we've definitely had people served on the other end, but yeah, I haven't either. And again, I, I think this is a pretty rare occurrence if you're doing things the way you should be doing. I mean, if you're getting served, something happened, somebody is trying to pursue some legal action, right? So again, it shouldn't be something, in my opinion, I guess, that happens that often to you, that you should really have to worry about that cost. I usually feel like like whenever, like if there's been an issue with a non-compete, non-solicit or just whatever, usually like their lawyer just contacts somebody via email or mail. And it doesn't, they don't go through a process agent. They just like find out, oh, that's your email? Cool. I'm going to email you this cease and desist or this demand letter without using the process agent, but whatever. I don't know how that works too. And again, I'm definitely not an attorney. I don't know if the, both things happen at the same time, that even if the attorney, if they are going to need to formally serve you with paperwork, it probably still maybe needs to go through a process agent because... And the instances you're talking about, usually the attorneys have said like, oh, the reason we're going to reach out to them is because like this is where the contract was written. That's likely where the law that governs it would sit like with inside that state. Yeah. Well, I think getting served is more like, hey, you're being notified that you have to go to court Mm -hmm. versus like an attorney just sending you a nasty letter for it to get to a point where they're going to have you go to court. Yeah, I just I've never... I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's happened on the back end because I've I yeah. testified. Um, I gave a testimony about a big lawsuit between two big freight brokerages, and TQL was trying to sue one company for 
basically poaching its people. Um, so I'm sure that probably went through us. They had to get started at one yeah. point, right? <laughs> but I, I just never saw it happen. Uh, all right. Interesting though. Next question. I would like to know about general liability, contingent auto liability, and contingent cargo insurance for a broker. And should the broker have all three or just contingent cargo? All right. Um, this is going to be customer dictated, right? So I, general liability and contingent cargo are probably the two common ones. Very rarely do I find someone that's got contingent auto. I know we have it at my company, but it's not very common. Um, either way, these contingent policies typically don't really do much more than just make your customer feel good when they yeah. see it on paper, but they very rarely will actually pay out on something. In my opinion, right? Like, or at the very least from what I've learned in discussions with attorneys, when I had to review lots of contracts and worked at a larger company that had lots of attorneys, I would get into it. It's the same thing you had mentioned, right? Meaning that the FMCSA doesn't require you as a broker to have any insurance whatsoever. It requires you to have a bond. So none of them are required to do business. Where they become required is when you get your agreement to work with a shipper and the shipper says, here's all the things we require of you as a transportation provider to provide services to us as a vendor. And what I would say is most of the time, in my opinion, for what it's worth, it was their legal team trying to just treat a broker the same as a carrier, which now there's legislation that says you can't not do that. But it's still pretty commonly done, meaning like you would read these contracts and they would basically like and some of them would just call you a carrier. And then we would have to redline. Like, we <laughs> yeah. aren't a carrier. Like we are yeah. a different type of company. We have a different license. We can't be treated as a carrier. And the, the other thing, too, is it related to the insurance. It really was just, again, them trying to say or their risk team saying, well, we want brokerages to have the same type of insurance that the carriers we require have. But when you talk to the insurance companies, they're like, yeah, like these don't really ever pay out. In fact, the liability almost always falls directly on that carrier anyway and to their insurance. So usually the way I've seen them evaluated and whether or not you will get them is determining, are you getting enough business from this customer to warrant you spending money on increased policies? Because there's a pretty standard rule of thumb, right? Like what are they? A hundred and a million is pretty much rule of thumb. 100, 100 cargo million. million liability, but yeah. you'll see like the customer's attorney basically wants to pass as much risk on to somebody else. So they're going to say, oh, we want 5 million in liability yes. or 3 million in liability. And there's a cost that goes with it. And you can get quoted. I, we went through this. Well, I guess we go through it very often uh, at Pierce, but um, we'll get a quote and Sometimes it's like, oh, it's, you know, 500 bucks every six months, you know, not a big deal considering the kind of business we're going to get out of this customer. But we've had like, hey, $80,000 a year for this policy. Like, is there going to be business that comes with it? (laughs) I had one with a customer last year, two years ago. It was $10 million and it was six figures in insurance with no guaranteed business. And then when you get to these situations, here's the other thing, too, that I want to point out with this is... This will tell you also a lot about a shipper and their either abundance or lack of capacity. Because if a shipper has higher than standard requirements for their carriers, meaning let's say industry averages you do 100 on contingent, a million on general. If this company wants 250 or 500, right, on cargo and they want, we'll say two or three million on, you know, on liability. The general liability, what you'll see is, 
they have a lot harder time finding trucks when they need it. And it's a pretty obvious reason, but it's because there aren't enough carriers in the market that are going to pay for that insurance to work with one company. So this company, yeah, their legal team says, oh, this helps us with your risk. But what it inadvertently does is make their operations much more difficult to find carriers when they need it. And by the way, makes them pay more for the trucks because there's less of them in the market that meet that demand. So yeah, they mitigated a risk, but they absolutely paid a cost for it. (laughs) Yeah, uh, another caution here too, and I've seen this happen. If a customer's contract says, hey, Mr. Broker, um, by signing this agreement, you agree that every carrier that you contract will have X amount in insurance. Like, and it's not standard hundred K it might be two fifty or 500 K by signing that you are taking on the risk. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but you have to vet out each carrier to make sure they have that that. policy. And those are uh, very uncommon to see $500,000 in cargo coverage for, um, for an asset based carrier. So keep that in mind, just a a word of caution for you. But it's good to understand in general, just the basic different insurance policies and challenge your customer too. If they're telling you they need X, Y, and Z, and it doesn't make sense to you, ask them why, like, where did that come from? Give me a scenario in which this would play out. Um, Be surprised that they probably don't know in a lot of cases. Almost every one I've ever run into, I've gotten that answer was, well, this is because this is the way they've always done it. And this is the agreement. And we don't really have any say so over that department. So you either sign it or you don't is almost unanimously what I've heard throughout my career. (laughs) That's exactly right. All right. Next question. Why should a carrier ever be responsible for funding a lumper? Um. So interesting here, uh, obviously one-on-one level, a lumper is a third party, essentially like a dock hand or a company that's going to help load or unload a shipment at a facility. They're usually ready, readily available and you'll know ahead of time from your customer that there's going to be a lumper involved. Now, I've always done it one of two ways. If there's a lumper involved, I let the, you know, we let the carrier know up front, hey, there's going to be a lumper at this at this stop along the way or at loading or whatever at unloading. And um, it's going to pay $200. I can either advance you the money via an EFS check or, you know, or com check, whatever. Or if you want to pay it yourself and keep the receipt, I'll reimburse you upon, um, you know, upon the settling up your, your invoice with us. So that way, they're not responsible to fund it themselves, but if they choose to, they can. Because sometimes if you want an, if a carrier wants an advance for uh, via EFS or ComCheck, um, there's a lot of times there's like a fee, like 10 or 15 bucks, sometimes even more. So they might be getting their $200, but minus 15. So now they are in essence having to take a penalty for not funding the lumper. So the, the, whoever asked the question, it's valid, right? It's not their job to have to pay that lumper. Um, but what you could do as the broker is say, hey, I'm going to waive any kind of advance fee for you or I'll eat it myself. I'll pay you I'll pay you 215 The $15 fee comes out. You'll get the full 200 basically. Um, but yeah, and I will say lumpers should never be a profit center for, uh, for a freight broker, right? Yes. So if your customer is paying $200, um, don't be like basically trying to you know find 
extra ways to, to pull margin out of your load because of that. It's just, it should be a straight pass through to the lumper company. Um, you shouldn't be, I agree. I don't think you should be charging your, your carrier the fees to be able to make that happen. But um, any kind of accessorial fee in that regard really should just be a straight pass through in my opinion. So like, for example, if your customer's like, Oh, I don't really know what the lumper fee is here. And the lumper company is like, Oh, it's 80 bucks. Don't charge your customer 150. You know what I mean? So any thoughts on lumpers or. I mean, you kind of covered it. I'd say the other big thing is like, guess what? Even if you try to do that, you know, the other brokers they work with are also using that lumper. So, I mean, they're going to know pretty quickly that you charge them more than the rest of their companies charge them for the same service. But you're right. The carrier shouldn't pay it. You should make it as easier for the carrier, as easy as possible for the carrier to deal with it. And you should let that carrier know ahead of time before they arrive. So there's no surprises on how you want to be able to get the money in their hand to pay that person cash, usually on site. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. All right. Next question. I'm fairly new to dispatching. I don't have my first customer yet. So the broker pays me and I pay the carrier or does the broker pay the carrier and I collect from the carrier? (laughs) The fact that this question was asked goes to show me how scary it is that the independent dispatching industry is so unregulated. And the most we've gotten is like two rounds of guidance from the FMCSA. Uh, All right, Mr. Dispatcher. Here's your answer. You cannot legally collect money um, in this instance. That would make you a acting as a broker. You cannot act as the bank. You cannot invoice. You cannot collect. You act as a uh, contracted entity on behalf of that motor carrier to secure them freight for their truck. And it's their responsibility to pay you whatever you have agreed to on paper. So if that is 50 bucks a load or a percentage, that's how it works. Um Otherwise, you're crossing the lines, uh, the legal lines and acting as a broker without a license. Dude, I talked to somebody yesterday. This blew my mind when it comes to dispatching. And he told me, what do you think like the going rate was during the peak of the pandemic for a dispatcher? Like what percentage would they charge a carrier? I'll bet they were getting 12 to 15, if not more. 20% he was charging at the peak of the pandemic. And he's like, you know, if I'm doing uh, 15, what do you say? If I'm doing... Fifth, I got eight. He had eight carriers, eight owner operators that he was loading up, and they were each doing like about fifteen thousand dollars a week in invoices. And he's like, "Yeah, making twenty percent of that it was pretty good." He's like, "Now I have to compete at like two percent, two and a half percent, and hope that I get my hands hey. on that uh, that load." And on top of that, the rates are down, so I'm taking a smaller percentage of a smaller amount. And I'm like, "Dude." People are getting mad at brokers saying we're, we're like evil. Look at how much money these people were raking up without a license, just hopping in. Oh, my gosh. I get it. Like, did, And he, he gave me a good argument. He's like, he's like, look, man, these, these owner operators, they don't know the first thing about finding loads. They don't know the first thing about filling out paperwork. They don't know the first thing about X, Y, and Z. He's like, and I know how to do it. So I was happy to, to help them out with that stuff. Um, but 20%. Yikes. That's insane. It's crazy to me, man. Yeah, it is. And it's like, I've worked with, again, and I've told, told these stories, like a few reputable ones that I've worked throughout my career that are very good at what they do and do exactly what you said, right? Like they are absolutely providing a lot of value back to the carriers they work with. But when you are charging that type of margin, right? Like that is, I mean, that's huge margins in any business, 20%, right? Like no matter what it is, you're dealing with. Well, <laughs> like, yeah. 
if the carrier's making a margin, now the dispatcher's making a margin, and the broker's making a margin, you know the shipper's making a margin off of whatever, right? Who's paying for it? Consumer. It's the end of the day. Exactly. Inflation. Everything that we bought. Well, hey, speaking of which, right, like that is one of the, I think, things that people aren't talking about as much is that like, yes, these things are coming down, but guess what? Like we're all consumers. We all live in the same country. And this is another reason why a lot of these prices are coming back in line and you're not seeing inflation continually running away with it like it did in the 70s and 80s. I mean, we need these things to happen and it's okay. And I think it's good for the people or the types of dispatchers that weren't adding value and brokers as well, as well as the double brokers, the fraudulent brokers that were doing things unethically and still are to some degree, right? Like the more margins get squeezed, the less they're going to be there because it's not worth their while. There's other things they can do that are underhanded. We'll say that will make them money that doesn't involve them having to do with these things. Yeah. There's a, there's lower hanging fruit when it gets tough. So Uh, last question Where can I look to get hired as an agent trainee if I have some prior experience, but very little success? Um, Okay. I will. I talk to a lot of people frequently that want to work as an agent, but are in a similar boat. They might've taken some kind of training or um, maybe work for a little bit, but they don't, you know, they just haven't really succeeded. Don't have a customer base. Here's what not to do. Don't go work for a company that's offering a great package, but, expects you to produce right away. And that's a lot of agent based like my company, Pierce Worldwide Logistics. You know, we very, very rarely will take somebody on that is newer or does not have a book of business. There's got to be a compelling reason why it would make sense to do that. Otherwise, it's not a good fit for our business model. That being said, if you go to our Facebook group, Freight Brokers and Carriers Network, uh, there's a link right in the show notes. I mean, there's Lots. you got to sift through some stuff in there to find what's good and what's not. But all the time, people are looking to bring on and train, yes. uh, you know, subcontracted brokers and agents and things of that nature. Like anything else, do your homework, do your vetting. Like I, I have referred people over there quite often. I said, if you introduce yourself to the group and let them know that you've worked for a little bit in the industry, you haven't found a lot of success, it didn't work out at your last place, but you wanted to work under somebody else and have some mentorship and training, I said, you'll get flooded with people that want to work with you. Yep. Don't take the first one and say yes. Like talk to five or ten or a dozen of them and see like are any of them a good fit for you? Do they have the experience that's gonna help give you what you need to be mentored properly? Cause um to the point that's of the, the biggest, by the way. Yeah. And I think that's the most often overlooked. Everyone goes, Well, who's gonna give me the biggest cut? And I always advise any client I've ever worked with, even in other industries that are in very similar criteria, like you see this a lot in real estate. I'm like, you are going to spend a lot of time with this individual. You want to know that you're a good fit to work with them as a human. And the other criteria is like that. Well, you just said that you're going to learn from them, right? Because in my opinion, that's most of the value learning from somebody that knows how to do this and can help guide you is for me, I'd rather make less money and learn faster then try to get a bigger piece of the pie and learn slower is just my take on it. Yeah. I mean, to give you uh to give, I guess I'm going to give props to the girl in the TikTok video that we were told to respond to recently. It said all, all of freight broker training is garbage. Um, she said like, you know, you better ask these people, are they actually like successful in brokerage? It's a valid point. Cause a lot of them aren't. You know what my favorite part was? She ended off with a plug for her own. She's like, if you really want to learn, 
come check me out. And I was like, all right. So you basically bash on everybody just so you can say that you're, you're the best at, at training and coaching people in brokerage. Um, but yeah, man, it's, uh, it's tough. The, you know, like you said, the don't look for the highest payout, you know, when in that instance, right. If you're, if they're just going to offer to train, you don't look for the highest payout. Cause you know, if someone's going to say, Oh, I'll pay you 50%, 50% of zero is still zero. Whereas 30%, if you can get yourself to do one or two K a month or one or two K a week in profit as a new agent, that's going to actually pay you something, get the ball rolling for you. So, cause you got to think for somebody to take the time to train and mentor you is a, there's an opportunity cost for them. They're giving up something else in order to do this, in order to do that for you. So there's a cost associated, AKA a lesser commission. And it's, it's a big number. I, I mean, like if you look at what the top brokers earn, right. In a week and you divide that by hour, right. Like you're looking in the hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars an hour that they are not making in order to spend time with you to help teach you, right? That's one more prospecting conversation they're not having, right? That's one more customer they're not making progress on. That's a few more loads they didn't bid on that they couldn't move, right? And you don't get to that level of success in our industry without knowing the cost of your time because you can only do more by doing more with less. And that's how you grow in the industry. So you're not just going to flippantly give away hours a day to train someone if you don't feel they're worth it. And it's not going to add value back to your own business in some ways, right? Whether it's in the long term, the short term or whatever it is. So knowing what you're getting versus what you're going to give back to that person is also important. It's just not what you're getting. Yeah. And they've got to be passionate about, you know, teaching and educating. They should have like the, basically like the, the heart and soul of a, of a professor or a teacher, right? Um, yeah. One of the things I've, I've always loved to teach and which is one of the reasons why we do a lot of this is. I do my job. And then in addition to that, I love to educate and train and and help others out, which is why I always loved whenever there was a new hire at my last company, I, I like enjoyed take like, Hey, come shadow me, come check it out. Like, yep. don't ask me a million questions all at once. Just watch me kind of see how I do things. And then we'll kind of talk in our free time or grab lunch or whatever. But I always enjoy it. Like I trained, I, I trained up my assistant um, about a little over a year ago and we did it remotely and it was difficult, but I spend some time every now and then in person with him in Tennessee. And it's like, it's really enjoyable to go through that process to kind of build that over time. And now we get together and it's like, this is awesome. It's kind of like yep. uh, making up for lost time. But yes, they should have a teacher's mindset because this is a frustrating industry. And if they just tell you like, just go make more calls, you know, it's not going to be very productive and yeah. it's going to be a... You know, the old Debbie Downer. So, but anyway, good questions. Continue to send them to us um, through the website, email info at freight360.net, Facebook group, Freight Brokers and Carriers Network. And also you can comment right in the YouTube comments on any video that you see. And we'll get, we'll do our best to get to as many questions as we can. I mean, there's probably a hundred questions asked a week. We can't get to all of them. I can't even see all of them in Facebook, but. We yeah. do our best to pull some good ones. And I would say that, you know, hey, if you want to send them and you want to, you want us to reference you, I'd like to be able to call out or even just reference the names of our listeners that are asking these questions. So if you send them through our website, right, like we get those directly, you can put your name in the fields and we can reference you and maybe even sometimes the company you're working with if you want before we answer your question. So yep. again, lots of ways to get the questions to us. 
if you want to get them through our website, we'll be able to reference you in future episodes as we do more and more of these. But definitely seems to be well received. Lots of comments on these in the first couple of weeks we've done them. It seems like we've gotten overwhelmingly positive response. So it looks like we'll be doing this permanently. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Any final thoughts here? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills.